In 2012, lifestyle publication Chicago Magazine interviewed several people involved in the Tylenol murder case to discuss their theories about the long-standing mystery 30 years on. One detective expressed his opinion that James Lewis was not involved in any way, as the extensive investigation had revealed no direct connections. Attorney General Ty Farner disputed this, saying, Do I think James Lewis was involved? I did, and I do. But we could never put him in the city, in the places, at the right time. This was mirrored by Chicago Police Department Lieutenant August Lacallo, who worked in the violent crime squad during the Tylenol murders. He said, Lewis is a con man and he'll do anything to get to his goal. I really believed he might have killed somebody, but they couldn't put anything on him. Lewis remained in the large pool of suspects, which at one point included infamous Unabomber Ted Kaczynski. Kaczynski's first four acts of domestic terrorism occurred in the Chicago area, and he occasionally stayed at his parents' home in Lombard, Illinois. He denied any involvement in the crime, and investigators weren't fully convinced, as it didn't entirely fit his M.O., When the Chicago Tylenol murders occurred in 1982, there was an almost immediate impact on Wall Street, with Johnson & Johnson's $5.4 billion stock plummeting and their market share collapsing from 35% to 8%. Nevertheless, the company's swift actions to contain the emergency garnered praise from the media and the public. A Washington Post newspaper article published the month following the deaths stated, Johnson & Johnson has effectively demonstrated how a major business ought to handle a disaster. After investing more than $100 million, Johnson & Johnson relaunched the Tylenol brand and regained a 30% share of the market before resuming its number one spot as America's top-selling over-the-counter pain reliever. In 2003, Fortune magazine named the company's then-CEO, James Burke, as one of history's 10 greatest CEOs for his handling of the crisis. Skeptics and cynics have since viewed the company with a far more critical eye. As Johnson & Johnson initially lied about storing cyanide at their Tylenol manufacturing facilities, many theorists believe the company was somehow responsible for the contamination and went to great lengths to cover it up by encouraging the lone tamperer theory. To this day, the Chicago Tylenol murders remains one of the most notorious unsolved crimes in American history. Psychologists remain perplexed by the unknown killer, whose motive remains a point of contention. Investigators are uncertain whether the crimes were a meticulously orchestrated and targeted murder or an act of domestic terrorism. James Zagel, former director of the Illinois Department of Law Enforcement, has spoken of his hope that the case will one day be solved, noting, We've solved other crimes a year, two years, twenty years afterwards. I have not given up hope or lost optimism. Sometimes you have to admit you've lost, 
but that's not the case with the Tylenol deaths. Authorities maintain the case is still active. The families of the victims live on without justice. Six months after the murders, Mary Reiner's husband, Ed, told reporters that the couple's two-year-old son would look at photographs of his mother and ask when she was coming home. Ed explained, I tell him she's in heaven now. I still don't understand why something like this happened, and I don't think I ever will. On the crime's one-year anniversary, Teresa Janus's mother, Helen, explained that while their house used to be full of life and parties, it was now empty. She kept a shrine of photographs to remember her daughter and son-in-law, remarking, It always hurts inside. Two decades on, Mary Kellerman's grandmother, Patricia, spoke of the continuing grief, stating, It's still devastating to the family, especially when they haven't caught who did it. I'm sure a lot of people have forgotten it, but I can tell you that the family still remember. This sentiment was shared by Joseph Janus, who lost two of his brothers to the Tylenol poisonings, and said, It never goes away. It stays in your chest. In an interview with the Chicago Tribune in 2009, Mary McFarlane's brother, Eliason, explained how he can no longer stomach even looking at a box of Tylenol. Quote, I now think of Mary not being here, what she's missing, her sons growing up, a granddaughter being born, a daughter-in-law she would have loved. A colleague of Paula Prince remembered her as a vivacious woman with a gorgeous smile and spoke of the unknown killer. Quote, That guy stole all her dreams, her life, her future. He just destroyed it all. Just poof, one pill. What makes a man do something like that? In the early days of the Tylenol investigation, Illinois Criminal Investigation Commander Thomas Shump told the Chicago Tribune, The first thing you look for in any murder is motivation. In 99% of the cases, it's relatively easy. A husband, wife, lover, boyfriend is involved, or narcotics are involved, and you are on your way to solving it. But with Tylenol, there was never a message left behind. It's so important to know why. What was the message? What was the reason? With Tylenol, not only can't we say who, we can't even say what or why. Why? 